0: Hello. Uh, it is July 29th, 2020. Um, I don't know. Same old, same old. Every week has kind of blended itself into one another. Um, how are we? I hope we're all safe and and sound and happy and, uh, enjoying the hockey that's going on on television. If tonight is a quieter night than usual, I completely understand. Um... It is a busy couple of days. I really have been enjoying it watching. I was up until I think 1:30 last night uh Eastern Standard Time. That's the time zone that I am in. Uh watching the Edmonton Oilers uh and Connor McDavid do his thing. Um it it it, it it's just so strange to see the game kind of played the way it is now. Although I might be in a minority here. But for some reason, when you remove all of the fans and everything so far, I've actually quite enjoyed it. You know, like it's it. it I, th- I think it's a weird difference between um, something that you buy tickets to and get entertained by, and like a presentation that is presented to you. You know, like it seems like this version of the NHL is like a weird, um, is like a weird version of like going to a play. Like you buy tickets, you go to a play, and you watch it, and it's awesome but if that play is turned into a movie or a version of the play is filmed and turned into a movie and you buy it and sit at home and watch it you know it's a different experience but some things it suits better uh personally i don't really think it i I kind of don't mind it like the new camera angles um you know obviously with the circumstances it's the best they can do and and they're doing a pretty good job so far um but I personally don't really mind it. And the way that things have been uh <laughs> it's it seems to be going okay. Little a few hiccups here and there. I don't know what's happening to the audio feed for someone if it's if it's affecting you guys as well. But there some of the audio going in is also is coming out on the broadcast reversed sometimes. I I, I I've worked in audio before. I I, I have working experience working with audio I have no idea how that happens how how a person's speech can be reversed that quickly and broadcast like that and also have people not notice but it might just be me uh, I might there might be something going on um, in my head uh, that that might be reversing people's speech I don't know and I, I know those things can can happen but I'm pretty sure it's happening Um... Anyway, uh, enough about that. But I've been I've been enjoying it, uh, so I hope that that it goes off without a hitch. I hope the bubble holds. Um, I've been enjoying the vlogs and such. I saw Christopher Steeg is doing outfit ratings for players, uh, which is also very fun. Um, so I'm glad that that they're kind of loosey goosey a little bit. I saw that uh, Craig Berube was wearing a quarter zip today while coaching, which good on you, Craig. Had a boy. Uh, but yeah. Uh that's about all the real housecle- housekeeping. I mean, okay. Also, before we get into the questions and such and we'll let some more people file in. Uh there are two reports ready to go uh at McKean's. There was a bit of a of a of a low period uh with public public reports, so uh the guy my contact over there is now back, uh, the webmaster, as they say. So he will, uh, have stuff coming out. I mean, the Meshach one came out today. So if you're a McKean subscriber, you should check that out. Uh, it, it, it was a fun one to put together. I mentioned that on Twitter, but definitely, definitely check that one out. And then there's another one coming. Um, then there's another one coming. I would say, I think tomorrow, uh, if I recall correctly, the shock video will be public, uh, Friday and the next report will be public on Saturday, uh, as well. And then we have a couple more ready to go for next week as well, that I just got to produce and, and make into video form, but the data's all done. So, uh, starting to get a little bit busy, but I mean, it took a lot longer than I expected, but getting past the goal of 30 should be no problem. Uh, a lot of lessons learned with that ambitious goal. Uh, but whatever, the data is probably a better, uh, a better way to spend my time because it's far more applicable and useful to you. Anyway, thanks for joining me. It's lovely. It is a it is a lovely evening. Very hot week here in uh, beautiful southern Ontario. But uh, yeah, let's let's dive into these. Let's dive into these uh, inquiries that you have have sent my way. Uh, if Perfetti had really good skating, is he a for sure top five pick? Okay, that's a, quite a loaded question right away. Um, so I'm going to counter your question with, what do you mean by skating? So when I see Cole Profetti play hockey, I see a player who is actually pretty quick straight line. Like, he's quicker than a lot of guys that I've tracked before, so when he gets moving, he can get really moving. Uh, his skating is a little bit awkward. Like that's I'll, I'll grant that, but it's a bit awkward looking but I think he's a player who knows how to work within the confines of how to use his feet and his brain and his hands together. You know, like when he's, he knows how to navigate the ice really, really well with the puck on his stick. Um, You know, if, if Cole Perfetti were better, you know, on his turns and better on his edges and, you know, a little bit uh, more upright in his skating and, and, and more efficient in his stride, then sure, I could see him being a much more lethal player player long term but i think these are things that you can learn i mean he's not i think i have him ranked at six if i'm not mistaken like he's not far back from being a top five pick at least to me yeah so i have him ranked sixth and so like the only thing that holds him back is that i think that there are are a couple of guys like stutzla and raymond uh who even as wingers i think might carry some more value in terms of how much their game might translate but i mean perfetti is not extremely far behind those guys but i i I probably wouldn't touch him until then and the only thing i would really want out of perfetti more uh would probably be that 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 efficiency when he's skating to be a little bit more prevalent because you know it, it leads me to believe that adjusting to the pace of the nhl might be tough long term or in the near term But I don't think that's going to be a long term problem with Perfetti, whereas other guys might not have that hurdle. uh, And the other hurdles might just be getting more experience against professionals for someone like Stutzler in North America, at least. Or for someone like, you know, Lucas Raymond, just more time, patience kind of thing. Just get more reps before you're ready for North American Pro. But with Perfetti, I mean, you're going to get whoever drafts Perfetti is going to get a good, at least offensive center. Uh, who I think might also end up on the wing, personally, but he played well at center. It's not like he was a poor center in in the OHL, and he's probably not an NHLer until next year at the earliest. So I think think that he's not far behind from being a top-five pick as it is, and there isn't a tremendous amount of stuff you can pick at his game that really knocks him down a peg. It's just a question of how much are you willing to gamble that parts that that the, that the one thing that kind of is a little bit weird with him will, will work itself out. And I think it will, you know, he's a creative, he's a creative playmaker, great shot on him. Uh, He has all of the tools to produce, I guess. And, and I, I think he sees the ice. He commands the ice a lot better than a lot of guys that I've seen, you know, and, and you know that you can give him sort of, you can get him to quarterback a line for you. Uh, which I think is very very valuable like I don't know if he's a number one center in the NHL one day but I certainly think he could be a good number two you know like there's rumors that the Detroit Red Wings are looking at him at four and that wouldn't be the worst pick you know like I said this last year with the Red Wings with their high pick I thought that they would go with someone like a Trevor Zegras because their their depth down the middle long term a little bit odd it's a little bit less than what I would expect for a potential contender uh you know, and you've got Dylan Larkin there. So I thought Larkin, Zegras, and maybe Erasmussen or Valeno long-term is a pretty decent bet. So this year I'm looking at it and going, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect Perfetti to maybe be a guy that's more valuable to the team than Larkin, but I don't think, I think those two as a one, two long-term would not be the worst thing that you could try. And if Perfetti isn't the best center that you can find, then moving into the wing should be no problem. He's been playing the wing there a bit when I have seen him this year. Uh, and he didn't really look out of place. So yeah, I mean, I I think that you could make the argument that he's a top five pick, but I don't I don't think I I, I don't I think it's as a matter of personal taste in terms of what you're swinging on and what you're going to get. You know, I think there's an explosivity to Lucas Raymond at both ends of the ice that I think is just going to push play a little bit better, even if he doesn't score as many points as Perfetti. I feel like he's a player who's going to get the details. You know that that that. Especially as a winger, really could drive positive results. And with Stutzla, I think that there's just more a more high octane, sort of high energy, high pace game there that he needs to rein in a bit. But, you know, you're starting from a very, very high pace, high level, sort of intense player and working your way back from that and saying, all right, maybe see the ice a little bit better. You know, take a look around a little bit more. Try to be in more control of what you're doing and what's going on on the ice because Stutzla does kind of overplay things a little bit and and get a little bit too on the ball which is a weird thing to think but that that's kind of where I'm at and perfetti though is not that far behind personally um but i I think the concerns about his skating kind of miss the point about about what you mean by bad at skating because I don't think he's he's bad I just think it looks a little weird uh and and inefficient but you can kind of work those things out uh how much credit do you give to Shane Wright for the success that chromiac and wisdom had? I definitely give a lot to the Chromiax success. Uh, wisdom... You know what? This would be a good, ex- good situation for me to whip this... Uh, put this up on the diagram here. Uh, so this is the rink thing that I've drawn. Uh, we'll pretend these red blobs are Kingston Frontenacs because red is kind of close to yellow and I don't have yellow. So let's say you're rocking a defensive breakout and you're the Kingston Frontenacs from what I have seen. So if you don't have the puck, uh, a, a big thing that, that they'll do is, I mean, Shane Wright will just play center like a, like a regular old center down the middle of the ice. Zade Wisdom is sort of the water bug chasing everyone around. But let's assume that the puck is under the control of the of the Kingston Frontenacs. Martin Kromiak, let's say he's playing on the right side here. He's never the most heavy back-checking type player. He's usually, especially if he sniffs a breakout, parking himself here. And Shane Wright might be down here doing his thing, doing whatever. And and let's say Zaid Wisdom broke up the, the cycle along the boards over here. So you've got, uh, let me get my pen out here. Uh, can I do that? Let's just draw. Um, this should work. I'm still new to this. I'm still trying to figure out a good solution to this. But what Chromiak does here is Shane Wright will, let's say Shane Wright picks up the puck gets dribbled out from Zade Wisdom over here. And Zade Wisdom immediately sees that Shane Wright is fetching that puck and sending it to Chromiak over here, right? Zade Wisdom is probably going to be working as a support man for Chromiak on the breakout, as is Shane Wright, because that's what a breakout is, right? Chromiak will not move very much and send the puck back into the middle and try to connect with one of these guys, and they're off to the races and doing the thing. But Chromiak then is, you know, Shane Wright is a quick skater. Zade Wisdom works hard, so they are gonna they can work off of each other well. So what you're going to get Chromiak do from here is he's going to sort of trail them as they're up the ice. So what you're going to end up with is, can I select these? Yes. So Shane Wright maybe has the puck up here, and Zade Wisdom is, is with him, and they're on a two-on-whatever-two breakout. Chromiak will trail them and 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 fall in. So if we can f- imagine this flipped around, Chromiak's kind of here. Let's say Shane Wright earns himself an entry, and and Zaid Wisdom is kind of you know doing his thing. I gotta erase this. Um, yeah, so this is Chromiak. You have Shane Wright kind of getting in on the on the on the action here. Chromiak has now gotten himself over here. He'll kind of maneuver his way. Ugh. Nope. I just want the select. There we go. Chromiak will kind of... Okay. yeah, Like, like Chromiak will kind of weave his way in behind. And from here, like in a spot in the high slot, he's got a great shot. And he can shoot it from pretty much anywhere. But but Shane Wright is is the one sort of usually quarterbacking the play. And from here, Chromiak can kind of spot Zade Wisdom if he's streaking in the back here. He's got a nice backdoor, backdoor chance maybe wisdom circles around the back and can be a support option for Chromiak. i don't know it depends on the situation but this is what i've seen them do a lot and Chromiak, i i don't think he's the most mobile guy he's not doing a ton of transitions on his own like i can look at his data so like if you look at Chromiak's data there's a lot of red which is not ideal but like in terms of transitions in general he's not really driving a tremendous amount offensively some but not a whole lot relative to some of the best in the draft and at least not relative to his production um but you have a guy who also is not really that threatening of a of a player offensively generally but you know in terms of his puck movement he's more of a passer to generate that that danger so to me he's he's taking a lot of shots from i'm looking now so this is the percentage of his shots that he's taking from dangerous areas. So total dangerous areas is 18 to 19%. So he's usually shooting them from out here at 5-on-5. Five five. So if you've got you know Shane Wright being able to do his thing, and, and Zade Wisdom is probably a, an excellent support player for that line, they work off of each other really well. Like, Chromiak's not the fastest guy on the ice, but he doesn't really need to be when you've got guys like Shane Wright out there who can control pucks, control play, operate a transition well and and zade wisdom out there as well uh to to basically you know <laughs> pick up the pieces if things if things go wrong but he also has some good skill to work with so i think they work off of each other really really well i guess is to answer your question i think it makes Chromiak look a lot better than he is personally i i, I in the slovakian league he had some of the worst games i thought of any player that i've tracked like he just did not look very good in that game in that level uh, but also, at the same time, his team is not great. Uh, Dukla Trentsen, I think. Um, and I think that wisdom away from the puck puts in a lot of work that, that makes life easier for the other two guys. And that's been my takeaway of watching that. So I think there's a role for Chromiak. Like, if you're not the most mobile player, that doesn't mean you're not useful. Uh, but I think if you're looking for Chromiak to be an absolute burner around the ice constantly and be an offensive dynamo, I don't think you're going to get that. I think what you're going to get is a player that you can rely on to be responsible positionally with his positioning, anticipating breakouts. He's a good sort of point man to, you know, if if guys like Bright and Wisdom or maybe a defenseman need to generate some speed to start that breakout, he can, you know, he can spot those guys in the neutral zone and pass from there because generating speed is not his forte. But he is pretty smart with, with his puck movement and when he chooses to make passes and, and and how he sort of judges it. And then in the offensive zone, if you have guys like Shane Wright drawing a lot of attention and in comes Martin Chromiak, the third man in the offensive zone, because he doesn't have the same mobility, that's not the end of the world either. Like Trailing men on a rush offense can have a lot of value. And if he parks himself somewhere in the offensive zone, he can really shoot it. So you kind of need to know what you're getting with Martin Chromiak. Like, I don't think it's worth looking at him as a, as a first round pick, but I would say that a lot of that line operated through Shane, Wright, Especially when you consider how young he is, but they all kind of worked well together as a, as a functional unit. Like if we talk about deployment and tactics, I think they work well together. Uh, whereas if you were to take say Martin Chromiak clone him twice and put him on a line with those guys, I, I don't think that line would do much of anything. um, but also at the same time, you could say, well, three Shane Wrights might be nice. Uh, but, but I think with Chromiak for especially, it might be a little bit, you might get a little exposed if you could clone those guys and do them to do, do, do run a line of three of them, if that makes any sense. Um, but yeah, to answer your question in a sentence, they work well together, but I certainly think that it's more likely that Chromiak was inflated by those two guys. Even wisdom, I would say, than the opposite, um, than the, than the opposite. And, and Zade Wisdom could probably play on any team with the way he plays hockey. I mean, coaches are going to love him. Uh, I, I, I think he plays really, really just a good sort of away from the puck game with good skill as well. Um, and I think he does a lot of the legwork that allows guys like Wright and Chromiak to, to play their game as well. Uh, Tony, oh jeez, here he comes. Uh, would now for my bad question do you like prospects no it's actually no i actually don't even like hockey i'm i'm more of a shuffleboard guy uh bozo jazz who would you pick if, at four if you were the red wings assuming byfield lafreniere and stutzler are off the board uh, marco rossi is the next guy on my list so probably him but i know i'm way higher on him than most i honestly think that with rossi raymond or even perfetti like you're not making a bad choice between any one of those three guys you're just going to get three very different players um but i think marco rossi is the guy that i would probably want on my team before guys like perfetti but it's not again like mark like perfetti is not that far behind and i think i think raymond i think raymond's going to be a very good two-way winger in the nhl like good offensive and defensive player but i think i think with rossi you kind of have to swing on what he's shown you especially as he's as he very likely could be a center. I, I think Marco Rossi has all the potential in the world to be a great center in the NHL, even though he's a little small. And I think he's going to, even if he isn't right away, which I don't expect him to be, he's, he's the type of kid to like work his tail off to get to that point in, in, from what I've seen and heard. So, you know, he's not a kid I think that's going to expect entitlement and minutes and anything. Like I, 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 I think he just wants what's, you know, what's best for him in terms of getting ice time and, 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 being the best player he can be you know whatever that means Uh, and and that would be the route that i go and not to say that guys like raymond and perfetti don't have that instinct but you know it's the, the the kid's determined and he has come a long way uh from his humble beginnings in austria to to get to this point and i think he's got a heck of a future ahead of him and if it's with the red Wings that's not a bad place to flex to flex your offensive talent i mean i think i think they have a lot of leeway with the games they can give him, the minutes they can give him, um and that's also true for guys like perfetti as well and if they wanted to pitch perfetti to me instead of rossi at four i could see the argument but i probably wouldn't do it at least not right now but but it, it's not it's not something that's in in that you can't discuss at all but my pick would be rossi uh dave hello dave Igor Chinikov. There was speculation the Maple Leafs were interested in him and he went undrafted. Uh thoughts on him and where he ranks. Yeah, I've seen that team play quite a bit. I don't I don't I don't see it with Chinnikov, especially if you're looking at overage MHL players. Uh I I I don't know. Like if I'm looking at, at Russian overagers, which, you know, they do get drafted once in a while. Like I really like Alexander Darian. Uh the Coyotes picked him last year. Uh I think he's a really good player. Uh, but you know, he's a little bit <laughs> stuck in Yaroslavl, didn't play very much outside of the MHL, which kind of sucks considering how old he is and how good he is in that level. Um, but like I-, I look at the Russian junior league and any overagers there and, and I need guys who have also played elsewhere and Chinnikov has played elsewhere and he's been producing in the VHL, but I don't, I don't quite see it. Maybe I haven't seen enough, but I've seen Olmsky Yasterby play quite a bit uh, I think I saw one of the games where Chinnikov was in the VHL. And I just can't help myself but come across more impressed with guys like Igor Suchkov, who is smaller, but I think he has all the potential to overcome his size and no one seems to be talking about him very much. Uh, Anton Lukachov is a defenseman for Yaroslavl, who I've watched more and more of recently, who I've really liked. Um, you know, and he's an overager as well. Maxim Musarov, I, musarov is kind of more on the lower end for me like i'm not i i probably wouldn't pick him but he's on my list because I, I i've enjoyed watching him and i liked him at the world juniors for kazakhstan um but like in terms of russian juniors it's also just really hard to to judge their value considering they're playing most of the year in junior um as an as a re-entry but with chinnikov i just i, I don't know i mean if, if the Leafs were to use one of their, whatever, six, seventh round picks on him, then sure, go nuts. I, I wouldn't be that upset. And he's producing, he produces against men as well in the limited time he has had, but it wouldn't be the Russian overage guys that I am, I would push. And I would say that Suchkov and Lukashov are those two. Um, Daniel Alalekin is in there as well. Um, he's a, he's a good player, but it's also just very hard to wade into that when they're playing in the russian junior league as a re-entry it's just a weird developmental situation i think but yeah maybe not the super highest guy that i would think of but i mean yeah seventh round late picks or whatever uh listening to jarvis's report and yeah there's the yeah buffalo <laughs> seth jarvis is the one coming after me shock uh how you talk about carter savoy they sounded similar what do you find is the biggest difference between the two? Well, for starters, uh, the WHL is a completely different planet than the AJHL from what I've seen. Um, I I think the big difference, I mean, the league quality is the big one for me. Also, with Carter Savoy, it feels like Sherwood Park plays a lot at 4-on-4. Like, their games that I've seen always end up, like, they're trying to draw penalties. They're always trying to, you know, they're always trying to draw penalties, but they also can't help but get themselves into penalties. Like, to the point where it's almost like they want to play at four-on-four. Four. Um, and with Seth Jarvis, like, I in the report, I, you know, I don't mean to come across like he never, ever back checks because that's not true. It's like Carter Savoy, I just rarely see hang out anywhere other than the offensive and neutral zone, at least not as a contributor. Seth Jarvis contributes everywhere, generally, for most of the time. But I think the big difference is Seth Jarvis plays in a much more difficult league than the AJHL and i think from what i've tracked of carter savoy which is very limited because frankly i there's other guys that i'm more interested in based on what i've seen of savoy like i think that um the 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 defensive results aren't as good uh and i think that even generating offensive results uh let me just double check uh not great like i, I mean this is not a very good sample but and I need to circle back on him, but, but every time I've seen him play, I just never feel like he's the most threatening player with the puck on his stick, unless it's way out in the offensive zone and he's ready to shoot the puck. Uh, I, 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 just don't, I just don't really see it out of Savoy where with Seth, just Seth Jarvis, I see better skating. I see a better motor. Uh, I see a higher ceiling in terms of his skating. Um, you know, I, I see a much better attacker on the rush, like with the puck on his stick or without it. Uh, you know, he can, he, he's much more dynamic in terms of, um, yeah, you know, but, and also I, he, he's just much more dynamic in terms of his positioning and his rush patterns. Uh, and I, I think that in the offensive zone, he also shows a lot of agility that, that really, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I think he just shows a lot of agility with the offensive zone and puck control that I just don't really see out of Savoy. And I, I, I do see them as sort of similar-ish kind of profiles, but, I think they're just on two completely different planets, personally, especially when it comes to, to projecting them long-term. Um, how good is Connor McDavid? Prob- he's just terrible. He's so terrible. That goal he scored last night was hilarious. Uh, the one where he wasn't looking. That was great. Um, how would you currently re-rank the top five of 20, the 2018 draft? Um, okay. Uh Sure. So you got Dahlien, Svechnikov, Kotkin, Yemi, Kachuk, and Hayton. Um, you know, I might, I might leave it the way it is. Oh, wait, Okay. So you're not talking re- reor- You're talking about reordering the whole, the whole first round, but only the top five. I would, I would assume because I think the top five, I would leave the way it is. Uh, but like I would pull out Hayton I mean, my top five at the time, I believe, was Dahlien, Svechnikov, uh, Zadina, Hughes, and... Ugh, I forget. I don't remember. I'll have to look it up. Um, mm -mm. Let's see. Let's see, 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 see. Okay, this is my old website, by the way. Uh, Oh, I had Bulkfist. So... I had Darlene, Svechnikov, Zadina, Hughes, Bokvist, with Bouchard, Dobson, Smith, and Yemi after. And I think looking back on it, um, I wouldn't change it a ton, but just looking at the names that have gone off the board, probably still would have Darlene at first, Svechnikov too. That one too is a heck of a combo. Uh, I would put Hughes three, but he really gives Svechnikov a run for his money. Um, so, Daleen, Svechnikov, Hughes. Uh, who else? Um,
1: it's a good question. It's hard because there's a lot of
0: decent players in there. Uh, Kotkin Yemi, I would say, goes in there and Kachuk. So, I would say Kachuk, Kotkin Yemi. So, Daleen, Svechnikov, Hughes, uh, Kachuk, Kotkin that's probably the way I would have it. Uh, I just really like Andrei Svechnikov. That top three is gross, but I think Ross Masdeline is gonna just be insane. I mean, he went to Buffalo, and despite their best efforts, he seems to be getting his way into being a truly fantastic defenseman, which Quinn Hughes is as well. But I think there's a two way sort of thing that I would that I kind of more rather see out of defenseman, even though Quinn Hughes is more fun, energetic offensive-leaning, attacking-style guy, which I think is fun, too. Um, and it doesn't really burn him a tremendous amount right now, uh, but I, I feel like there's something else with Daleen that I think makes him, makes him a little bit more special, like the intelligence, the sort of control of the game. Quinn Hughes, I think, has a lot more skill and a lot more sort of fun factor to him, uh, but yeah, that top three would be very, very close looking back on it a couple of years later uh, for me. Um... Where else are where are we here? Uh could you talk a little bit about Emil Emil Heineman? I loved your I looked at your analytics and his involvement in primary look good, but he is a low offensive catalyst. Yeah, uh so most of that is I believe that Let me see. Um yeah, so I believe yeah, most of that is because Lex Sands is a very good offensive team. So you know, when you look at his goal for goals, four percentage, the vast majority of the increase relative to his team comes from his defense, which frankly, I can see that guy is a madman, uh, from what I've tracked in the SHL, like he's going to be just a crash and bang guy. I think, uh, I, I, I'm not so sure that he's this incredibly undervalued player, but, uh, you know, at times he can be an absolute wrecking ball. So that's kind of why it's important to frame the raw scoring rates versus scoring rates relative to his team. Like it's hard to improve when you're, when you're on the ice and you're scoring 3.7 goals at, at even strength per 60 minutes. And your team is also doing the same. Like it's, it's such a high level that that's a, that's a hard thing to overcome, but his defense more than makes up for it. Uh, and, And he's scoring a lot of goals, which is where those primary points come from. So I like Emil Hänemann. I think that again, similar to someone like a Kromiak, you got to know what kind of role he's going to play on your line. I mean, I've tracked him in the SHL quite a bit. I think that's the only uh, area I've tracked him, and some of his game is really good. Some of it is not. Like this is bad. Like you do not want your guys allowing possession on eighty-three percent of defensive transitions, uh, and he's involving himself in in a in a solid amount. So this is not ideal. Um, yeah, so you, you might want to cut down on on him and being able to be pivoting and mobile in terms of countering four checks and everything, but when, when he's skating in a straight line and going after you, he can be pretty nasty. And when he's got the puck in the offensive zone, like, this is pretty promising and an offensive threat metric of 12.4 against men in Sweden. Uh, like, just compare that to the other Swedish guys uh Gundler he's up at 17 uh Raymond I doubt is even that yeah Raymond is more in the Haneman range but he's still a little bit better L- much more limited usage I think and the other one is Holtz and I think Holtz's offensive threat is like near yeah so it's way below uh but that's because he only shoots from the middle of nowhere um but with Haneman I think you know he he knows how to get to the front of the net so if we're looking at these so Lucas Raymond gets over half of his shot attempts from dangerous areas Gundler at 69% and Haneman at 43, so he's kind of in the running there for in terms of generating offense, offensive danger off of his shot. Uh, but he also has a pretty decent amount of dangerous passes, so there's offensive tools here for for Hayneman even at five on five. Um, it's the defense, even though it, in his even though like this is very favorable to his defense. I've seen that in the SHL, it can be a little bit uh, a little bit nutty and he kind of just barely hangs on to what's going on. But when he's coming at you, he'll, he'll crush you. And I've seen him absolutely crush some guys. So if you like your players, you know, your offensive guys with a bit more of that, you know, I'm going to smash you kind of attitude, then he might be up your alley. Uh, the prospect that you don't understand the hype on. Is that what I read correctly? Cause my chat just exploded. There it is. Uh, the prospect that you don't understand the hype that's a good question um and i'm gonna caution myself by saying that this isn't because i don't think the player is any good uh but i personally don't really get the hype around helga Granz. um i i think Granz is one of those guys who um you know i just don't know what he's gonna be you know i i don't know what his defining skill is uh, i think people also misinterpret that he's an offensive defenseman i don't think that's what he is i i i have always come away thinking that he is a you know transition sort of defenseman who complete who, who's a smart passer he's a reliable passer and i feel like he's going to be a guy that especially if he's your first round pick might be a guy that is a capable defenseman that you just kind of play And, and you don't really worry about, which is fine, but I have him ranked in a similar region as Topi Nimala, but I think, you know, if I really had to think about it based on what I've seen of both, I mean, I have Nimala ranked two spots higher and I think I would take Nimala because I think there's more of a, an offensive flash to Nimala that, that, that is there, but hasn't come out nearly enough. And there's inconsistency with Nimala. I find, I find Granz much more consistent but i don't i don't find it as a, a, the the flashes of talent to be as positive as someone like a topi Nimala. and in the Nimala video i went over it like lo- looking at the three defensemen that i've seen and tracked against men this year so grants nimela and Nikishin. nimela is number 1 in pretty much every major statistical category i look at for defensemen of those three uh there are there's others that grants might be better in but you know i i i think helga grants is a guy who over time, could become a dependable defenseman. He can play, sure. Like, you won't have to worry about him. But that's not really what I'm looking for in the first round of this year's draft. And in the second round, sure, especially if I've had a couple of first-round picks I can swing on. But I think that the talent level of, especially forwards, from the middle to the end of the first round, through the second round, there's a lot of fascinating players. And if you're thinking about drafting defensemen, I think if you're patient and wait in the draft a little bit, I think you could take bigger swings on guys later on, right? That that might be able to be players that push play better. You know, he's, he's a solid defensive player from what I've seen. Um, But some guys are a little bit better in that area of the game and his offensive game. Like his, his ability to control transitions is not great offensively, but it's fine defensively, uh, especially considering he's playing against men. and, but I, I just don't quite get the hype of him being a very highly touted player, but maybe I'm, I mean, I'm happy to be wrong. It's happened before. Uh, but, but again, it'd be a fine pick in the second round to me. Fine. Just take the defenseman and and turn him into something dependable, which I think he could be, but you know, I'm a gambler, so I like to gamble. I don't, I don't see it as a tremendous gamble personally with with Gronz, and i don't understand quite what everyone is 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 up in arms about but i don't mean to say he's a bad hockey player uh now for the good question oh finally tony can you make one line and one pairing from this year's draft using players from outside the first oh, tony top rope uh okay so let's take a look here outside of the first round uh well let's work from uh let's work from the net out and we'll go with Joel Blomquist in net only really because, uh, well, yeah, let's go with Joel Blomquist in net because, uh, some quick data that I pulled, um, this data, this is from, I believe instead, I think I showed this before. Uh, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm down with Joel Blomquist being a player that faced a pretty decent workload and saved a lot of pucks. So I'm going to put him in net because who cares, who knows? uh but outside of the first round so by outside of the first round i am going to sort by average rank uh and eliminate everything under the top 31 players so these guys forster to lafreniere are not eligible so i mean i'm putting marat at center because he can quarterback whatever um i will put hmm I'm gonna put Murat at center with Gooshin on one wing and on the other. And on the other, I'm gonna go with Ridley Grieg. So there's your center left wing, right wing. That's that's three guys that I'm gonna go with. I think Grieg, you just throw out like the Zaid Wisdom type player. Um and just tell him to go go nuts. Maybe Yeah, no, I'm not replacing Wiesblatt with Gushin. Uh may Maybe Yarventy because I think he's got some size and skill to him. You know what? Let's, oh man, this is really hard. Okay. Sean Farrell. This is, damn it, Tony. Um, I'm going to go with Gooschin, Murat, and Sean Farrell up front. Cause I think Sean Farrell's a great energy player, uh, that can, that can sort of be that water bug. Gooschin is your sort of skilled guy who can finish. Um, and I think he's tremendously undervalued and Marat because he can play for play defense and forward and, or defense and offense, I should say. And he's just, I think he's got tons and tons and tons of potential. Uh, and, uh, two of these guys are also really young on defense. Um, like you don't want to go too turbo with your defensemen. So guys like Yoni Yermo might be not the best choice to play on that line. Uh, because he's, his passing is not fantastic. Um, but I guess his role would be get the puck to Murat, but also, like, Yoni Yermo, when he gets really going, he can really go. And I do think that too much speed can be a bad thing. So... Hmm. I'm gonna go... Oops. Let's put Topi Nimala on the right side. So I'll put Topi Nimala on the right, and I'll put... Hmm. I'll put... I'll put Anton Johansson on the left. Because... I think that Anton... So, the reasoning behind that... So, Topi Nimala is a very responsible defensive player that has some good offensive skill. Or at least talent with his hands and his feet. And he can really move if he's going. And I think Topi Nimala has a lot of potential for that sort of brand of of defenseman. Sort of that defense first. But once in a while, he does something impressive offensively. And Antonia... But but he's not a burner like a guy like Yermo is. Whereas... um, Whereas with Anton Johannessen, similar, not a burner, he's not a guy who's gonna torture you on transitions like Yermo or Wallander or whatever, which is the kind of defense that I always love to see. But Johannessen is a is a really smart, most of the time, smart, clever, no nonsense passer. Like he'll do some really, 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 really dumb things once in a while, but that's because he takes risks. And personally, I'd rather have a guy like that take risks and and cover his own tracks and from what I've seen he covers his tracks pretty well. He's not the most straight-line mobile guy, but he's left-right really mobile, can cover ice really effectively. Um and I'm willing to bet on him. Uh especially if someone like Emil Landry is not available, but but Anton Johansson's data is pretty good, especially for something that for a player that fits sort of his profile. Uh, you know, not the best defensive transition player, but I think you can kind of live with that and his defensive results themselves are not horrible. Um, the most active passer I've tracked all year in terms of moving pucks around the ice. Uh, and he completes 80% of his passes when he's the most active passer on the ice. So he might make mistakes from time to time, but that's a, that's a defense pair that I think, you know, like working with Murat as sort of the focus, where he's gonna be there defensively and being able to generate those breakouts with his skating and his skill, you know, if Johansson can spot Kuznudinov or Nimala can spot Johanneson or vice versa, and then they can spot a winger or a or a center. Like you know, like like Kuznudinov, I think those I think that could work as a unit. And it's perfectly logical to think that certain teams could probably land all five all six of these players uh, if the cards go their way this year in the draft, which would be kind of nuts. Um, and I'm not saying that these five guys are the guys that I would immediately draft, but I'm trying to think of a cohesive unit on the spot, which is not easy. But I feel like if you play the role of Farrell as your sort of energy guy, that Zade wisdom type, like we talked about earlier. Uh, if you have Marat as sort of your quarterback on the ice, uh, working off of Johansson as your main puck distributors and puck carriers. Uh, and you have Nimala as your sort of two-way defensive leaning guy and gushin as your finisher slash embarrass you know a guy who can embarrass the opposing team once in a while type player uh i think that would be a nice little unit to build off of outside of the first round uh personally hope that answers your incredibly complicated question uh let's reorder this Doot. okay thoughts on broberg a year ago compared to now well i'll say this uh he did not look great last night um, you know what? My thoughts on Broberg really haven't changed. He was a reach. You know, it's funny. I was watching him play last night after watching Nick Robertson play, and I had those two, I think, three spots apart in my final rankings. I still stand by that. I I, I had Nick Robertson, I think, at 19, and I think Broberg at 16 or something like that. Something like that range. And... I mean, Nick Robertson is no nonsense. You know what you're getting when you draft him, and he was that last night. Philip Broberg, you knew, was a project. Like, anyone anyone who pays any attention, really, was, was well aware that Philip Broberg was a project pick. Like, that's not a guy that I expected to not only be, like, signed to an ELC immediately, but playing NHL games in the potential playoffs uh, of the season he was drafted. I thought he was two, three, four years away, really. Um, but honestly, when I look, I, I, and again, he played one exhibition game, so it's not the end of the world, and, and his career's not over. But, uh, like, that, that it showed, if I'm part of the Oilers management, it showed to me that that guy needs more time. He took steps this year, I thought. I thought in Sweden, uh, he looked, in the SHL, he, his possession numbers were good. Uh, I thought he looked perfectly fine, but still, the decision making, uh, still the awareness of, of of opponents on the ice and and where his line mates are to move pucks to, you know, there's only so much you can do on your own stick. I mean, it's like if it's like if William Wallander were a top 15 pick this year and whoever drafted him had him in the playoffs at the end of next season, that's not what I would do. Like that, those guys I think could be great defensemen, but you gotta really work with them and really give them some time to really unlock what they're capable of i thought broberg was pretty thin easy to knock off pucks which similar to william wallander you know there, there's echoes there and i think i you know i still feel as though broberg is not this extremely uh you know low value player all of a sudden but i do think he was a reach but i do think that he is you know uh i mean there. It's, this is what rushing a player looks like. I mean, he looked bad, and I saw that... I think it was Jay Fresh or whatever who tweeted that his, ex, his expected goals percentage was 0 by like 1 or something. I mean, it, he was playing a lot in his own end. He's not a player who's particularly excellent playing in his own end. But time will tell. I mean, if the Oilers seem to think he's ready, I'll let them make that decision. But that's not a decision that I would make, and I don't have any evidence to say that, that, that he should be there yet. I mean, I that guy's a slow burn as as slow as it gets and you just want to let him have as many reps as he can and learn as much as he can but here he is in the nhl uh a couple weeks ago on twitter you mentioned artemi kniazev in a positive light could you comment a bit more on this guy i'm a new subscriber and i missed all your wisdom (laughs) okay well some people would call it wisdom i don't know what i'd call it um i okay so artemi kniazev was a guy last year that I just really liked like defensemen who can skate and lean offensively are always something I'm interested in, regardless of where they're eligible. Um, I I think, I think that what he does really, I mean, his skating is exceptionally good, you know, and I, I think that his skill goes hand in hand with that. He's always a player that when I was watching Shikudomi last year, he was a guy who, when I turned sort of my brain off and go, that guy is good. It always seemed to, turn out to be him. So, you know, it's just something that I love betting on. You know, if you're, especially outside the first round, if you're going to draft a player, especially a defenseman, draft them, draft them for skating and, and their, their ability to flex offensive play. You know, like based on my research and based on what I've read in the, in the years leading up to this moment, it, it does feel like in terms of pushing play positively, it relies much more on offense. And the, I think I went over this last year in a stream once when no one was watching, but one of the biggest factors that has changed in the last few years in the NHL that has boosted goal scoring from what I can tell is production from defensemen. Defensemen are getting more involved offensively. They're getting more, they're getting more reps sort of being more aggressive. And it shows because when you have five guys who can score, you're going to score more. Who would have thought? Uh, So teams are starting to leverage that, and and now you're seeing the end results in a more offensively focused league. And you can cover for defensemen who want to pinch up offensively a little bit if you're a well coached team. So it's not the end of the world. So Knyazev was a guy who I felt fit that mold of, yeah, he's aggressive, and yeah, sure, but also he's great at protecting pucks. He's great at skating. He's great controlling pucks on his stick and just a really fun player to watch. And in the second round, I'll take it. Like similar sort of vibe, I guess, to someone like a Yoni Yermo, but he's maybe even more of an extreme version. Uh, and those guys I just latch on to immediately. And his offensive results have been good. They've carried over and been pretty good. And and I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, would you take Raymond at four? If I'm Detroit, he probably isn't super high on my list. I still think they need some guys that can play down the middle and I don't think that's Raymond uh maybe, but I don't think so I think he's i think he's gonna i think you know I could be considered i could be swayed to do it, but if we're looking at rossi or Raymond or even Perfetti, I still might pass on Raymond, but that's a decision that I'm not. That's a, that's a really tough decision, but I still would lean Ray- Rossi over everyone. Uh but that that's just me. Hey Will, which teams are better or worse at player development in your opinion? Or prospects who, who are any prospects who could succeed in a good organization versus a bad one? I mean, you I think that the worst thing you can do for a player's development is put them in over their head too much and leave them there. You know, like Jesse puglia Yarvi, went straight to the ahl and was a great player there and they did not let him sort of develop there and get used to north american ice for very long in the grand scheme of things they yanked him right up and he was okay but very quickly I, if you watch jesse Puljujarvi play in finland this year and watch video of him with the oilers two completely different players they had him in front of the net knocking down redirections and cleaning up rebounds and being a, a net front guy in Edmonton. That's not what he is. He's a trigger man. He can shoot it from anywhere and score from pretty much anywhere. He's got a good playmaker instinct as well, but he's not, he's not a grinder. He's not that type of player. He's a, he's a guy who shoots and he's a guy who can control pucks and, and, and just needs the offensive zone to play with. That's kind of how he is. Uh, the you know, and you see it all the time guys that bounce up and down and up and down from the AHL. And any team to me that does that with their young guys, especially, are teams that I'm kind of wary of. The The, the Ducks do it a lot, the Oilers used to do it a lot. Um, who else? Uh, you know, I look at the Sabres and they took sort of Casey Middlestat who had issues. Like, this is the Philip Broberg case study, too, right. Casey Middlestad had known issues when he was drafted and they knew he was going to need time, but he had a great NCAA career and they just could not wait to put him in the NHL. And he struggled and struggled and struggled. And now he's in the AHL. And like when he plays in the AHL, I've seen him play with Rochester a couple of times here in Toronto. He, he looks like a really good hockey player, but there just never was there. There was never that extra gear that he had time to really develop Like He was extremely talented in terms of putting up offense in the USHL, but most of it was on the power play. And that's a caution to me. He gets drafted, goes to college, definitely takes a few steps, but being an extremely good, skilled offensive player in college does not automatically make you a good NHL player. And they didn't take that intermediate step to say, all right, the next step is here. Go here, do well over an extended period of time, get comfortable, and then we'll start introducing you to this. They just straight in there, and and that was it. Um, I, I I don't know. It's it's so. If I had if I had a knowledge of who was good and bad at this in front of me, I I I would I would know. But it's easy to pick out the teams that sort of rub me the wrong way with how they manage players. Whereas guys who are more patient, like I like how San Jose is not afraid to say. John Dahlén wants to go back to Sweden for another year and play in the Allsvenskan. Fine, like whatever makes him comfortable as a hockey player, and and he's playing his hardest and he's playing at a hundred percent. You know we can work on. He's only twenty two. We can we can work on it. You know we'll bring him over to the AHL, see how he is, or maybe the SHL. Whatever I don't know. But they're willing to be patient and let guys sort of learn things out, learn things on their own at their own pace, recover from whatever they need to work out. And and go from there, you know that those those kind of things really stick out to me. You know, it's not just your AHL team that is your developmental system. You know, you you got to make sure that your players are in a good role, no matter where they're playing. Like, look at Albin Gräva. Detroit is bringing him to Saginaw. I mean, Saginaw is bringing him to Saginaw, but it doesn't it doesn't ha- it doesn't hurt that the Red Wings have Gräva in in their backyard for next year. Um, and he was barely playing in Sweden. And I, if I'm Steve Eiserman, I'm going, you're not playing this kid. So we're going to pull some strings and yank him over here because he needs to be playing, right? Like that, that's kind of the, it's kind of the, the goal. So yeah, it's, it's a complicated question sort of, but, um, that's kind of where I go in terms of judging development. Uh, if you watch the Habs Leafs game last night, what did you think of Kanyemi and what do you think he's going to turn into? I I mean is that him as your profile picture? Uh I I mean I've always liked Kod Kanyemi. I thought him being an a defense first guy in his first year was a great move. Just get him in, play him as your third line center. Claude Julien got a lot out of him. Uh but again, like I was very surprised to see him not only get drafted that high but go straight to the NHL. And now that we're looking back on it, Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, he's a really hard one to look at, but he's not done. Like, I think he could be a perfectly reasonable, maybe second line center, good at both ends of the ice, uh, you know, with some more time and some more reps, you know, the Canadians, I think they have tons and tons of young talent that they can just pick from and and put in their lineup at some point. I I think everything's going to be fine for Montreal long-term uh, and Kotkin he's going to be a big piece of it. I, I don't, I don't know if he's like a top, top, you know, first line game breaker for your team. And at any point, I don't think I've ever felt that way, but like at the very least a very good number three, 50, 50 defense offense player, but second line leaning sort of offense or sorry, sorry, sort of a second line leaning defense first, but, but with some good offensive output is not outside the realm of possibility. And I think he's a fine center. Uh, are there any face-off specialists in the later rounds? I, I don't, I, I'm sorry. I don't know. Uh, thoughts on Kirby Dock future first line center. Well, I really like Kirby Dock and I always have. I was surprised to see him go third overall as many of us were, but I was happy. I I felt that if you were going to swing at the third overall pick last year, that's probably the swing you take. Um, and by swing, I mean like, try to knock it out of the park because he's a guy who, when I watched him play last year, what blew me away with him was how easy he made the game look. He just seemed to be able to follow play. And when the puck was on his stick, he just made it look easy. Like it was, it was like, you know, kind of like that Marco Rossi kind of vibe, except if Marco Rossi were six, four, like I'm going to, it's like, I need to get around the defenseman that is in front of me and get the puck to my line mate who is streaking in, uh, for the backdoor pass and he does it and he, and he makes it look like he's on the ice by himself. And that's the kind of thing that I loved about Kirby Doc. And I sat there going, okay, well maybe at the NHL level, he's gonna have some things to learn. And, and obviously that's gonna, you know, it's not going to be that way for him in, in pro, but it didn't seem like he had to force what he was doing. And I think that that's a natural instinct that, that I don't see a ton, a ton out of young players, especially, uh, you know, so I think what Kirby doc brings is that sort of patience and skill, but you know, that, that speed, I think that his defensive play today from watching him, he was causing neutral zone breakups quite a bit. You know, I, I I think that he could be a very good sort of, I don't know about first line, but I think he could be a very good sort of offensive leaning center, like really creative playmaker he's got a really nice shot from what I've seen as well. I haven't seen a ton of him in the NHL with Chicago this year. Like today might've been the third or fourth game that I saw him play in the NHL, but from junior last year through this year, like I've always been a big fan of Kirby doc. And I think I had him ranked fourth on my list last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that's where I had him ranked. Let's check. I could be wrong. Oh, I had him at five behind Byram and Turcott. Okay. But yeah, like you could have you could have at three last year, it would have been a tough, tough call. Um but yeah, okay, so there we go. Kirby Doc is bar none, my favorite player in this year's draft to watch play, not named Kako or Hughes. Uh it's true, and and when he was at his best last year, he was exceptional. Um and that's something that Chicago clearly bet on and it seems to be working. I I thought he looked great today, uh, and it showed on the score sheet as well, so I'm I'm a fan of him. Uh, which CHL teams did you have the most fun watching this year? That's a great question. Um, I really enjoyed the 67s, obviously, because they're friggin' insanely good. Um, the 67s are right up there. Uh, let's see. Um, because I also need to make sure that there are teams that I've seen. Or teams that have players on them that I've actually tracked and seen. Um... Yeah. Uh, let's call it the 67s are up there for sure. Uh, what else? Mm. I've enjoyed Ramuski. Like obviously Alexi Lafreniere is a joy to watch, but at the same time, like that whole team has played really well from what I, from what I've seen. And, and I, I, I've enjoyed watching them play. Uh, Erie, I think has been good with, with guys like Jamie Drysdale on there as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't usually note that there are teams that I've enjoyed playing a ton, but definitely the guys that I've enjoyed have been on guys, places like Ottawa, uh, Ramuski as well, for obvious reasons. I, I There were teams that I was kind of disappointed in, like Shakutami I thought would be absolute world-enders, and I, I their data that I've tracked for any of their games has not been great. Um, who else? I mean guys like moose jaw like you can't be disappointed because they're pretty low bar anyway unfortunately for now uh what else um like i really like watching brandon co but i don't enjoy watching the north bay battalion if that also makes sense um same thing for jacob perot and the sarnia sting like i enjoy watching the saint john sea dogs because i enjoy it for like sadistic reasons like i just so much talent and they're not doing anything with it but they're fun to watch uh, but in terms of, like, the, the most fun CHL team this year, probably would be Ottawa. Uh, Any thoughts on Cheka's situation? Do you think he's even worth pursuing? Boy, uh, the best sort of analogy I've been able to find is the guy from the office who uses his promotion to leverage a job interview from another company. But I think it's even, like, worse than that. Like, it seems like what happened was he asked about a networking opportunity which they allowed him to do which turned into a job very quickly and then everyone got mad at each other and i can see why from the coyotes perspective um i have thoughts but i don't know what the real story is so i should probably not say anything but from what's been reported it is uh not, <laughs> from what's been reported, it doesn't make John Chaka look particularly great as a, uh, I think the the quote in one of the stories was, sometimes people who think they're the smartest in the room end up shooting themselves in the foot or something like that, which is very true. Uh, I don't know if that's what happened with John Chaka, but it seems like he let a situation get to a point where He might have misplayed his hand or overplayed it i don't know but uh you know he's gonna work in the league again at some point in some capacity it's gonna happen um but that that's a heck of a way to lose your job as a gm uh i can't remember the last time that has ever happened something like this um but and i can't say i know what happened but it doesn't uh I haven't seen very much that makes the Arizona Coyotes look like, um, anything but kind of like a victim of their general manager's networking. Um, and like, I understand sometimes networking can turn into job opportunities. That's like how you get a job most of the time. But there's a difference when you are literally, you, he's just signed a contract extension. Like if I hand an exp- a contract extension to my general manager as an owner, and then I, f- and then he's like, well, can I, like, thank you? I'll sign on the dotted line. There's a networking opportunity to work with some other, you know, teams or whatever. Can I, is it cool with you if I go talk to them and I go, okay. And next thing I know, he's like, I got a job offer. And I'm going to, and if he says he's going to take it, then of course I'm going to be pissed off. Like, what, you know, like that would piss anyone off. That would make anyone mad. So, yeah, I don't know. If that's what happened, then whatever. But I, I, I feel like we're not quite done with that story yet. Uh, Have you seen Roman Faith? He's super young, so I'm intrigued. I have not, but I will add him to the list of names I have not seen. I just Googled Roman Faith, and that's, okay, so that's a name that actually pops up, but as two separate words, that's very funny. Um, Roman Faith. Yeah, I can't say I've seen this guy play hockey, but uh, I will check him out. Thanks for the heads up. How has this guy not popped up in my weird? Okay, well, I'll check him out. Thanks for the heads up. You might make, you might help me make look make you, you might help me you might help me look smart there that's the sentence i was trying to get out ironic. Uh Corey. hey Will, curious if you've seen anything from Jack As- Asan or the Asan I've, I've I've seen his brother play uh Roman and i can't remember his play by play. I kind of any Wisconsin game i have kind of wiped from my memory. Uh or Brinson Passenchuk I really like Princeton Passenchuk a lot. Uh I, I I don't know if he's ever an NHL player, but I've seen him play a couple of times over the last few years. I'm I'm a fan of him. Jack, I remember playing in the world juniors, if I'm thinking of the same player. I like his brother more. I, I don't know what Jack is gonna be at this point. I think he's pretty old. Um I think he's yeah, so he's gonna be twenty yeah, he just turned twenty-three in May. Uh you know, I always liked uh I always liked Roman personally. Um, but I can't say I've seen a tremendous amount of Jack. Uh, he was playing with St. Cloud. Yeah. I don't know. He'll, we'll see. I mean, he's a free pickup, so sure. Like go nuts. Um, but I've, I've, from what I remember seeing, it's kind of like, he's an undersized guy that, that has problems that come with being undersized. And I don't think he quite has the speed and skill to really overcome it. But I mean, Cooper Zek was a good pickup for them last year to see and and this cost you nothing so good for good for him and good for the bruins but yeah Passenchuk is a guy that i do like uh does german rubsov make the nhl at this point is he or is he set to return to the khl you want to talk about a guy who's just been sidelined unfortunately constantly i always really 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 liked uh rubsov and uh i don't really know what the story is with him German Rubtsov. I mean, I, yeah, I, I really liked him when he was draft eligible, really thought there was a really bright future for him. Um, now that's kind of being called into question. I mean, you never know. I mean, this was his first season where he hasn't dealt with some kind of injury since 2016, it looks like. Um, and you know, give. I'd see. I'd see where he is next year. Like his contract expires at the end of next season. So ask me the same question in May of next year, and maybe I'll have a better answer. But you know, I've always had hope for him, and I always have hope for guys that 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 have trouble with injuries and everything. Like Gabe Velarde and everything. Like I, I want these guys to to figure it out and make it. I always felt that Rudsov has a had a ton of potential uh, as like a as like a sort of almost like a marat kind of player like great puck possessor great quarterback of a line um really fun to watch but i just it sucks like when you see this kind of thing happen with with injuries and such especially when his ahl career had gotten off to uh or was it got off to or ended um yeah so his ahl season started in november and ended in january before he was called up to the to the to the flyers oh no that was this year i'm sorry uh last year so october yeah so he played in october and ended up getting a call up oh my god i'm so slow i am so slow today yeah so october to november and then he was injured for the rest of the year so he had had a great ahl start and then uh that was it and that's something that i hope he recovers from i mean this might have just been a rebound year and he'll be right back to it next year i hope he is um, because I've always had faith in the guy, but, but if it doesn't work out next year, then sure. I could see it where he goes to the KHL, but I, I doubt the flyers would want him to leave. Um, and especially when he's still not waiver eligible, I don't think, um, beyond his ELC. So I, I, I think, or he would be, cause it would be five years, I think if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, anyway, it's, uh, it's interesting but I I uh I I have all the hope in the world that that he figures it out and gets a career because I've always liked him and injuries are crummy. Keith's French fries. Hello. Are there analytics specif- specific to measuring goaltenders? If so, what are they? Um okay, well I'm not a goaltending expert at all. I don't know much about goaltending really. But if I were to track goaltending, I did build a little template here that I was going to use and never did because i am a coward um so yeah so what i would have tracked if i was looking at goaltending would be this is just adding all this but high danger shot attempts uh high danger saves so actual saves where the puck hits your pad and same for medium danger and low danger uh cross ice shot attempts so cross ice pass leading to a shot i feel like that's something you should track separately as well um cross ice saves so anytime you see a cross ice play with a save Yes, or I guess anything anything leading to a pass that is uh what would be the word like any sort of pass that is perpendicular to the sight line of the goaltender to me is cross ice, so if someone's in the corner and sends it in front, that's something the goaltender has to adjust and adapt to, maybe not so much going from face off circle to face off circle because I don't think you see that very much at five on five in my experience, but it happens sometimes um but again, I haven't done any work in this actually. Uh, and this is where I kind of realized I might've had some issues like tracking what a five hole shot and save attempt or shot attempt and save that, you know, glove blocker low. So pad save, um, desperation saves. That's kind of a, you know, like if there's a lot of these, like a lot of desperation saves, that might be a bit of an issue because they're not putting themselves in a position to stop pucks, I guess is the reason that I have that there. And that's more of a subjective call. Like, what is desperation? I don't know, but I feel like you know when you see it. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, flops. So, and how many times do they end up on your butt? Um, rebounds. Like, so this is really interesting to me that I never went into, but where are the rebounds going? So, like a low danger rebound to me is like kicking a puck into a corner. A high danger rebound to me is letting it just bounce right off of you and land right in front of you and you don't cover it. Like that, that's bad. You don't want that. And again, I'm just taking it from a fundamental perspective. Like what do I want my goaltender doing and what don't I want them doing? Um, medium danger rebounds would be kicking a rebound out into the middle of the ice. Uh, Oh, where are we here? Goals. So yeah. And then just goals like high danger, medium danger, low danger, five hole glove blocker low. Honestly, I don't know what else you could track with a goaltender. I don't know, at least not accurately. Uh I haven't done anything with this because again, like I said, I'm a coward. Uh but also frankly, like there are people out there who do better goaltender uh eh, there are people out there who do better goaltender analysis than I probably ever could. Um, Catherine Silverman namely. Um but that's if I were to use it, that's what I would look at, uh personally. So I hope that helps. Uh, what are Drysdale's biggest strengths and weaknesses? Well, I think his biggest weakness is deep in his own end defensively. I, I think that he can be a bit too inactive, uh, be too patient, uh, give too much of a gap too much. Um, and it's just sometimes not ideal long-term. But I think what makes him special is, I think, his intelligence and skill passing the puck. So he spots good options pretty quickly. But, it you know, some people might say he finds the first option and just does it immediately but I don't think that's the end of the world. And I think he makes very difficult passes look very easy. So as a puck distributor, I think he's very good at it, uh, both on the power play and at even strength. Um, and I think that considering the volume of minutes he plays, um, he generates pretty solid results. And, uh, yeah, I, I think his biggest strength that I've seen though, is his passing ability. Um, really good skater generally, like in all four directions, but, but I think that his ability to especially pass off his back foot like just little things where he's moving backwards and has to send a pass into the neutral zone like I think he's at a further along point than a lot of guys and can do that pretty easily um which is a valuable skill to have like just survey the ice spot a man and send a puck in with a lot of a lot of power behind it um i'm a i'm I dig that, but the weaknesses i think are stuff that he learns over time with more experience uh any thoughts on who you think Ottawa would take at five? for all I know. I mean, you know what? Ottawa I said this before. Ottawa picked big guys who were born in September through December of the year they're draft eligible. So September to December 2001 babies are probably their guys. Like Anton Lindell would not shock me at 5. I know that would shock fans, but like he's big, he plays center, he plays defense pretty well, defensively pretty well, and he uh and he definitely uh, has some offensive tools to him as well, but he's also big and older for the draft. And I feel like Ottawa, just based on the correlation from last year, could do that. And it would be a bit nutty, but sometimes nutty things happen in the draft. Uh, do you think Holloway tears up college with more opportunity this year? Well, the thing that kind of held him back was his team this year, Wisconsin. Um... I think he has all the potential in the world to be a really good college player but i I, after the tenure that that their coach has had uh i think tony granato is their coach after the tenure he has had i don't know how they've kept him still like that team turned keandre miller into a completely different player than what he could be um like and it was kind of sad to watch uh it, it just wasn't great um and Dylan Holloway was a player where it looked like he only had one trick in his bag most of the time, and it wasn't very good. Like, I think he has all the skill in the world and all the work ethic in the world to to be a good two-way player. I think he's going to be that, whether it's at center or the wing, I don't really care, but I, I think there's potential for him to be a very good hockey player, and what was happening with him in Wisconsin was not great, and... Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't know if he's going to I think he could be a player that gets good value in terms of where he gets picked. Um in terms of maybe slipping to the later first round, but I think it's a good bet to make like long term. Maybe he spends one more year in college and and you and you sign him and bring him over and I think that would be perfectly reasonable and maybe he has a better year. For sure, his second half was much better than his first and I felt that he was adjusting to the to the to this league. Like there's a big difference between the AJHL and the uh, the NCAA. I think he could do it this year but i'm not holding my breath because that team seems to just kill the parts of the game that are played in 2020 that drive offense which is unfortunate um there's a reason there's a reason that a team with cole caulfield alex turcott dylan holloway keandre miller uh etc finished last in their conference it just shouldn't happen Uh, do you have Rossi or Raymond ahead of Stutzla? Yes. Right. I don't even remember. Yes, I do. That's, that's the answer. Yes. When do you plan on moving on to the 2021 draft? It feels like we've been talking about these prospects forever. Uh, when these guys are drafted, um, that's when I move on. I've, I've been, I have been looking at 2021 and organizing a really, uh, a really slow, uh, really slowly starting to put together, uh, a list of watch guys. I want to, I do want to track for next year. Um, I guess I can show that. Let me just make sure you don't see my, my personal information. Uh, so this is the, the working version of 2021's tracker. Uh, I'm slowly building it. I am thinking about hiring some help in terms of building out my web or rebuilding of the website into something a little more robust so I can get out of, uh, using these sheets so often, at least front facing. But anyway, we're we're we're, 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 that's a long way away, but we'll, 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 we'll start crossing that bridge if we want to. Um, yeah, so this is the sort of functioning version of, of an early version of it using this year's data. Uh, these are the guys that I do have on a list that I do want to look at. Like I'm up to 82 guys this year that I have a decent sample on and I've just ordered them into tiers. So just basically like priority of guys who I want to look at. Um, so I am looking at 2021 guys. I've seen a little bit of all of the guys that I have numbered. Um, but I can't say it's a a huge amount. Um, but these are the guys that I haven't seen a ton of that I do want to look at more. Um, so these are, these are all kind of fun. Like these guys are going to, it's going to be interesting. And once the 2020 crop is picked, then that's when we'll move on, uh, to 2021. Um, which is not going to be until October. So yeah. Uh, why do you have Drysdale over Sanderson? It seems that Sanderson is better in every way. Even his offensive game developed a ton over the season. I think Sanderson played in a weaker league. Um, I, I think, I think that what, um, I think that what he does, I think what Drysdale does is over a bigger sample and like, he looks more comfortable in situations that are more difficult. Like, I think Jake Sanderson does things really well that are hard to find for junior league players or junior age players. Like his defensive transition game is excellent. Um, his ability to navigate through the neutral zone is also excellent. And I think that the gap between them is closer than people might think that if you just look at the points, but I think with Drysdale, um, I think at least when it comes to the reliability, Oh, is that even in frame? Yes, it is. Okay. Um I think with Drysdale, the sort of reliability uh of what he's doing and and sort of how he moves the puck around the ice uh is is a little bit more desirable. Um I think the OHL is a pretty big step up from the NCAA or sorry, the uh the USHL as well. Um you know, I thought I thought Drysdale at the World Juniors did not particularly look out of place in his limited time. Uh but with Sanderson, I think you know, it's perfectly logical to think that at some point Sanderson is the better defender. I can see a world where that happens. Uh, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that, that everything about his game will translate as well as it possibly could, at least not as quickly as someone like Drysdale could. I think the offensive tools I think are, are interesting in terms of his ability to sort of pick his time to jump up in the offensive zone. Um, you know, his play to move pucks into the, into the neutral zone, I think is, is right there with Sanderson Um, but anyway, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I, it's a, it's an interesting debate. I think you could go either way perfectly reasonably, but I think you have to think about the role and the league in which these two guys are playing and, and, and evaluate them, you know, like the data does favor Sanderson in a lot of ways, but there are other things that I think in terms of context, I think there are things that, that Drysdale does a little bit, A little bit better but it's hard to say because sanderson didn't play in the same league um who do you see as the best defensive-minded defenseman in the later rounds um let's close that defensive-minded defenseman well it's a tough question to answer i mean even powell would be a good one uh i think he could be a good defense first player uh Pretty pretty happy with, 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 with Eamon Powell's play as a defensive player. Emil Vero could be a good defensive player as well. I think his skating is good enough. Same with Brock Faber. Um, you know, Helga Gron's defense first, but he's not going to be available later rounds. Uh, who else is on here? I mean, if you want to dig into guys like... It's hard because what a defense, What does a defense-first player mean? Like, Victor Mancini might be a good defense-first player. He drives two-way play really well through his defense. Uh, who else? Um, Ethan Edwards might be a good sort of two-way guy that can play defense, but he's more of that Sanderson-style defense. Uh, like, I don't know about Alexander Niketian, but it's hard because he probably shouldn't have been in the KHL, but he was, and I don't know but guys like Powell, Vero, Faber, you know, Schneider, if he's available, but he won't be available late rounds. Um, those guys might be up there. Damon Hunt as well could be a good one late if he slips, which I think is entirely possible. Um, but yeah, he might be a good one to pick up late, uh, as just a, let's see what happens kind of defensive player. Oh, Jim, thank you. Thank you very much, Jim. I'll, uh, buy some beers and draw your name on it. Uh, I'm just kidding. It. I don't, I I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, Niraj, was that Shakir Mukhamadoulin or Broberg playing for the Oilers? Good one. What is your opinion of Eamon Powell and would you consider taking him in the late first? I would not consider taking him in the late first, but late second is around where I would think about it. Uh, like I think he's a good, safe defensive player, but like his gaps defensively are not great, but that's something you can work on. Good skill, good skater, just an all-around rock-solid player, and if he's available and I'd say the third round, I would I would start thinking about picking him. Late second, sure, but late first might be a bit rich for me. Why isn't Josh Norris considered a top 40 prospect? I honestly feel that he's top 15 over a point per game in his AHL rookie season, scores a ton, and he's very good defensively. He's a very good player. I don't know, because organizing the entire league's prospect pool into a top 40 is uh, rife with potential for making everybody mad. And, uh, I mean, I think Josh Norris has come a long way since he was drafted. Um, I think he's going to be a good NHL player. Uh, but top 40 is tough. I mean, that's like the best prospects of every NHL team plus one. Like, I don't think he's much further back than that, but I don't know if he's quite on that level. But I, I don't want to say that because I, I, you know, I think he's a good player, but, but, but I'm not sure he's like quite there, but he's not far back from what I've seen. I I like Josh Norris, rock solid offensive player. Um, but yeah, I also haven't seen a tremendous amount of the AHL this year. So I might just be talking out my elbow. Uh, is there a better name in this draft than Ivan Ivan? Probably not. Um, some discussion, Da da da. Do you think Nybeck could be in the first round? No, I, I don't think he's going first round. I, I think teams are spooked by him. He's small, he's not fast. Um I'm not I'm not the anti Nybeck police really, as much as I know there are some people out there who are, but I am anti Nybeck super high in the draft. Uh I don't I don't think he's gonna be at the professional level quite what people think he's going to be as a junior player, but He's surprisingly resilient on his feet. He's a good passer from what I've seen and tracked. Uh, You know, there's parts of his game that are questionable. Let me just pull up what I've done on him. I haven't gotten a huge sample on him, but his, you know, generating offense is not, surprisingly at five on five, it's not a huge, you know, at least generating dangerous chances, it's not a huge part of his game right now from what I've seen again. And this is also against good teams. Like I basically primarily track them playing good teams because that's, you know, when they're tested the most, but surprisingly good transition player from what I've seen, just not a whole lot of defensive transitions that he's involved in. Um, not a whole lot of offensive ones either, but a decent amount. Uh, usually the top, top ends of these guys are up near like 80, uh, I think let's just double check that. So I don't make myself look silly. Yeah. So like a hundred is the upper bound of that. Usually like 80 is really notable, but he's not far behind that. Um, medium danger opportunities, at least 60% of the time, sorry, 60% of the time, at least medium danger opportunities, which is good, but he's playing against juniors, but he is at least getting inside and, and, and getting his shot attempts off from inside. Uh, I just think that this is all just kind of okay. Like at the junior level, and i think that he did step up in the shl and played pretty well but i still think that you know he's a guy that you kind of draft in the second round close your eyes and just like hang on and hope that things come a step or two or three between now and 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 three or four years from now but he's a guy who i think is small that will have problems overcoming his shortcomings which there are some other small guys that i don't think have the same problem uh but you know I think I think the concerns about him are a little bit overblown, but I do think they're legitimately there. Uh I've watched the EP draft meeting. Good for you. That
1: was a, that's a marathon.
0: Uh If I remember right, they did not rank neighbors. No, they did not. Mitch Brown was very vocal in his dislike. Any thoughts on why? I think it's because there's a big mismatch between what Jake Neighbors tries to be and what he is. <clears throat> you know, I think Jake Neighbors could... I, I, I don't agree with the idea of completely not ranking him. I have him... Uh, where is he here? Um, I can't find him. Here he is. In the late second round, I have him. And I think that would be fine. Like, I think Jake Neighbors plays like he wants to be a high-skill, high-octane offensive player. I don't see that, really. Uh, I think he's got... <clears throat> I think he's got decent talent. But... um but I think he, 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 his skating is a little bit strange, but I think he moves around the ice just fine. I think his skill is just fine, but he, he, again, like oversteps what he's capable of a bit. Um, and it happens quite a lot deep in the offensive zone though. He's very effective and away from the puck, he plays hard. And I think that if you give him the role of go out there, when you don't have the puck, And crush guys and play hard and get that puck back and when you do have the puck just get to the net just just get to the net and and cycle play around there like that's your one and two main jobs and i think that if you keep things simple with him he could be an effective player down the road but i think that he is trying to play as if he is dylan gunther and i don't i don't think he's quite at that level I I think that their criticisms of him are legit, where it's like, he's not super dynamic. He has a very limited, you know, in terms of the plays he can make in transition, it's very limited. Uh, But I also, you know, there's more to it than that. I don't have the video in front of me, so I can't go back and look at what they said about him. But from what I remember, a lot of it was based around his his thought process around the game, and I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I, I wouldn't go that far in, like, the do not draft area but I definitely think that he, he, he needs to develop his game into something a little bit different, uh, if he's going to be valuable. And I think he could be a valuable piece. It's just, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be like a super high octane type player, as opposed to more of a physical, uh, guy who can chip in offensively as well, which he can do very well. Uh, especially, you know, in, on the data side I've tracked of him, he can, he can do it pretty well like right around the net. Uh, maybe more thinking of him like the, uh, North American Daniel Torgerson a little down the road. I don't know. Thinking out loud. How real do you think Mikhail Abramov's season this year was? Quite real. Has he improved in your estimation of his likeliness to provide value in the NHL? We'll see about that, but he definitely improved. Like, I think that, you know, I still am a believer in Igor Serdiak. I'll, 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 I'll volunteer myself for that. But uh separating him from Abramov certainly did hurt him a lot. And Abramov has the skill to dazzle him junior. And we'll see how it translates to North America, but it's definitely something that you can bet on. I, I don't know I don't know if it's quite at enough of a level to be an NHL player, but I think at the AHL he could at least make noise and feel comfortable there and play. And whatever happens from there happens. And I think, uh, after another year in the KHL or QMJHL, I think he'll, I think he'll improve to the point where he's, he's more than ready to do that. But I like him. He's a lot of fun to watch. The fun factor on him is really, really high. Uh, in Drafts Dynasty's video on who? Grants? Yes. Uh, he noted how bad his pivoting was when skating backwards. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, like his, that's, that kind of, touches on stuff that I've noticed with him. Like he's, again, that sort of defense first kind of guy. Um, but yeah, like I'd have to go, I haven't tracked him in a long time. Uh, so I'll have to go back and check, but yeah, I, I, uh, where are we? I missed it. Yeah. I would need to go back and check and finish my tracking on him, but I definitely have felt that like, The thing that spooks me about Grants is that there's a mismatch between what people think he is and what he is, and I think there's also a mismatch between the future role he can play and what he likely is going to play, personally. Um, And that kind of spooks me, and and that leads me to believe that that's a player that you might develop into something that he isn't, and make him worse for it, personally. And I'm saying that a lot because that's kind of my opinion. Um but yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, I'll have to go back and, and look at my video clips of, of Grants as well. Cause I don't, I don't really, <clears throat> that didn't stick out to me, but I, I trust Yannick. Uh, Feral Murat Gushin would be a great line for the Habs. Oh, is that how far we got? Okay. Before I answered before, before that popped up. All right. That was one of the first questions of the stream. All right. I am slow. Are there any prospects ranked outside the second round with good numbers in high danger areas? Oh yes, um who are they? I'm trying to remember I mean like torgerson is is a guy who I think similar to neighbors like if you tell him to just keep things really really simple, uh he could be a really good player like this is insanely high. Fourteen dangerous shot attempts per sixty is very high. I need to circle back and track more of him because I think that this might regress and some of this stuff like I I think he's a little bit overrated when you look at his pick 224 numbers but I think if you focus on him being like a disturber player just park him in front of the net and slap in rebounds once in a while I think he could do that because he can be a real nightmare around the net it's just everywhere else he's a different kind of nightmare from time to time Um, I don't think his skating is particularly great Uh, His skill is okay, like, for a big man, but not great. Like, he's a guy who kind of protects the puck really, really well, which, you know, like, if you like guys like Elmer Soderblom, someone like a Torgerson could be an interesting idea. Um, But instead of being a center, I think he's more likely to be just like, go to the net, play around the net, get your dangerous chances, and call it a day. Uh, Who else? Um, Reichel is a big one. I think Reichel might be one of the better... Like, 8.78 high danger shot attempts per 60 is insanely high. Uh, let me just go here and look at my data more carefully away from the prying eyes of the public. Um, So the highest, from what I've tracked, Uh, so this is subject to change, the highest... Oh, that's not individual. I apologize. Uh, The highest high danger shot attempt players per 60 minutes at 5 on 5... Lucas Reichel is number one. Ozzy Wiesblad is number two. Benjamin Baumgartner, interestingly, is number three. And that's in the Swiss Pro League. Uh, Daniel Guschin is number four. And Seth Jarvis is number five. Uh, Lafreniere is number six. And Lafreniere is actually the leader of everyone I've tracked, uh, I believe, in medium and high danger per 60. Oh no, that's false. That is Guschin. So... Yeah. In terms of guys getting dangerous shot attempts, Gustin, Reichel, Torgerson, uh, Eckmark, Elliot Eckmark is up there. I don't know how that works, but he's up there. Seth Jarvis, Cole Perfetti, um, VT Miettinen, and Alexander Poshin. That's like, and Brett Berard is up there, Marco Rossi. Uh, Lafreniere is actually number 12. And Rodion Amirov is actually above Mar- uh, above Lafreniere. Um, but Lafreniere drives way more high-danger stuff than, uh, Amirov and Pashin, uh, and a few other guys, but that's kind of where we stand on that as of right now, but that is subject to change. Where did you, th- what did you think of Philip Heedle in his draft year? Not much because I didn't see a ton of him because he was playing Czech second division and then I was a noob and I didn't know how to watch, but yeah, I had him. I, I, I did not, I did not see a ton of him outside of international competition and did not think he was, uh, I was shocked just like everyone else when he was picked in the first round, but here we are And we all look a little sillier for it. And it means... It's a good example of, like, stick to your guns. If you believe that you found a guy, stick to your guns. Can you re-rank your top 10 players in the 2019 draft? Uh, sure. Um, okay. Based on what I've seen in the last year... Ooh.
1: We'll go with... Hughes, Hughes, Doc, Caco, uh, Zegris, Zegris, uh, Byram, maybe Pod Colson is in there.
0: Actually, okay. We'll go this. Hughes, Doc, Kako, uh, Zegras. That's four. And, and then it's really tough. Like, Vasily Podkolzin had a good year in Russia, for sure. But, like, Cole Caulfield looked great in Wisconsin. I would put Cole Caulfield up pretty high. Uh, who else? Connor McMichael had a huge year. Mm. Nils Hoglander had a huge year, but I wouldn't put him in the top five. Uh Spencer Knight had a really good year, but again, probably not top five. Cole Cam York actually had a really big year as well, at least at even strength, which is impressive. It's a bit of a mess after that, but definitely uh okay. I'll just I'll just say ten guys because I don't want to stall for time. Uh Hughes, Doc, Kako, Zegris, um, Oh, Soderstrom, too, had a great year. Freg. Uh, all right. Let's just go for it. Um,
1: okay. Byram
0: is five. Then Soderstrom, I guess, because he was just dirty this year. Actually, no. Undo Soderstrom. Caulfield, uh...
1: cousins Turkhot,
0: maybe uh and then uh new hook maybe as the 10th i don't know i i would need time to think about this it's it's a big group of of pretty solid years from guys so i apologize but uh yeah not the 2018 was a lot easier uh and especially because it was only five guys would you rather have six shutdown d-men or six offensive d-men offensive Uh, do you think Marco Rossi's size will be an issue playing center in the NHL? No. Do you see a lot of room for growth in his game? Yes. Uh, is he more of a finished product than some of the other guys in the top 10? No. And I don't know why people are saying that. Uh, like you can't, people are simultaneously saying his skating is going to hold him back and his size is going to hold him back, but he's also a finished product. I, I don't think anyone is a finished product. I think that if Marco Rossi gets another gear on his feet, uh, you know maybe another gear with his skill which is already pretty freaking good you know even if he is the player that he is now like we're talking about a guy who could be who could have been a 150 point player in the OHL over the course of a 68 game season 140 at least and uh most guys who score that amount of points regardless of how good their team is usually jump straight to the NHL and play pretty well you know like was Patrick Kane a finished product in London when he was draft eligible. If he was, not bad. He's had a pretty good career. So, you know, with Marco Rossi, I, I I think that he will do just fine. And if he can't figure it out at center, he can be a winger. And there are like, you know, we watched, I watched Brayton Point play hockey today, five foot nine center. He looked pretty fricking good. And just because there aren't a ton of five foot nine centers does not mean that five foot nine centers cannot exist personally in my opinion like just because i think that there is a bias that is still there that says we will give bigger players more of an advantage at center and like i understand that being a center is a very important position and you have to cover a lot of ice but just because you're big doesn't mean you cover a lot of ice it means you're big so and also if we're talking marco rossi being five foot nine being an issue but if he were five foot 11 not being an issue like that's like the size of this hockey tape, like the height of this hockey tape is discerning whether or not a player can play center or at all. I I refuse to believe that this makes that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things because plenty of guys are 5'10", 5'11", and play center. So I, I, I think that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. He's going to eat his pudding next year, and I think he's going to figure it out one way or the other. I, I just, every time that kid steps on the ice, something good happens at both ends and he plays center. That's more than you can say for a lot of guys. Uh, and I think he's an inch shorter than Cole Perfetti. So I wouldn't be too concerned. And the league is trending smaller, faster, more skilled every year. So if he slips, go nuts. If he gets picked really high, then a team is willing to take the same risk I would be willing to take. Uh, no, no, no. Are you doing a draft night live stream this year? I hope so. Um, I don't see why not. So yeah, that's a yes, Tony. Uh, Travis, why did I subscribe to this guy? Because you clicked the button. Uh, You don't remember him at all. You're not the only one. Uh, Good for you. Yeah, good for you. Welcome. Hello, Travis. Hope you stick around. Or hope you did stick around. Oh, Naraj. Thank you. This is... You guys are too nice. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, This was a time. It's not done yet, but we're getting there. Thoughts on Pavel Novak. Uh the skating is a bit of a mess, but creative offensive player in the offensive zone. I am skeptical of his projectability. I liked him at the Holinka, but with the uh Kelowna Rockets, I don't know. I I think that his skating needs to come a long way before I'd be ready to consider him an extremely high value player. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not super optimistic about his potential, but I think as a, as a, as an offensive playmaker, I think he's a good, I think he's a good bet, but not until like the mid rounds and you know, you need to put some work in, but I, I, when like once in a while, he'll do stuff where you go, Oh, like that's, that's the Pavel Novak I was looking for. Like, uh, let's just pull him up here. Like some of this stuff is not great. Like 61% passing is is not great but two thirds of his shot attempts are dangerous. He just doesn't do it, do it a whole lot. Um, and he does have quite a lot of dangerous passing. So like his offensive game is like above average, I would say, but you know, and defensively in transition, he positions himself well, like he cuts off a lot of pressure pretty decently with how he puts himself on the ice, but there's still a long way to go, at least in terms of projecting him offensive or projecting him into the professional game. Like, under 50% transition percentage in a limited number of transitions is not a good combo. Um, And I think a lot of that comes down to his speed, like guys close gaps on him all the time. And, uh, and he doesn't really adapt to that very well, but away from the puck and the offensive end, he's, he can be a smart, creative guy. And when the puck gets on his stick, uh, he gets rid of it pretty quick. And it's usually a smart decision, uh, with, with (laughs) what he does with it is usually a smart decision. Uh, thoughts on Brendan Brisson he's one that I still don't know. I still don't know. The more and more I watch, the more and more confused I get. I think he's one of the smarter players in the draft in terms of adapting to pressure and and, and countering defense approaches. Like when people are closing gaps on him and applying pressure, he knows how to get out of it. When it comes to, you know, facilitating play through the neutral zone, I think he does it really well. But I feel like his his foot, his foot speed, his agility. He's, he's a pretty passive center and he might just be the brand of center that I just don't like, like a more passive positional kind of player, but it it's not all bad with him. Like he has had some games where he's much better than, than others, but there are some games that are just not great. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of passing the puck around the ice, like 75% passing with 63 pass attempts per game or per 60 minutes is like okay. I would say, especially for a center, it might not be that okay. It's like average to below average defensively. He, when he's on the ice, Chicago just bleeds dangerous shot attempts against. So, you know, and he's allowing transition control on, on 60% defensively of the transitions, which is just not good, uh, especially for a center. So, you know, I'm, like, I know there are people out there who have him top 20, top 15, whatever. I am not one of those people, but as a top 40 guy, sure, you you could convince me, but I would have to kind of hold my nose and do it. I still think that there's things about his game that, that I don't know. Like, he's a smart player. I think he's going to be that, I think he can be a player that can be more passive and conservative and get away with it, but... I still think the defensive side of the game on paper in the USHL is not great, especially considering how good his team was. Uh, And again, this is against good teams in the USHL. Uh, I think one was against, I could be wrong, but it was a couple of games against the development program and everything, so he's getting tested in the games I'm tracking, so you can forgive some of this, but it's overall just kind of all around okay. And I just don't know if I'm drafting a center who's all around okay and plays a style of center where I'm not super thrilled about it, extremely high in the draft. But again, smart, adaptable, clever, um, and uses teammates really effectively. That's, that's, that's a good series of talents to work with, but just not in terms of taste, not, not right up my alley immediately. What do you think about Owen Power for the 2021 draft? Well, speaking of the Chicago Steel, I like Owen Power quite a lot. He's a big dude who can skate and isn't just about big dude smash hard, which is a good thing. Um, But I'm always going to hold my breath until draft-eligible seasons for sure, especially with defensemen. Uh, What do you think of Landon Slaggart? Low-key, really big fan of him. I haven't gotten anything tracked on him, but every time I've seen the NTDP, well, many times I've seen the NTDP, he sticks out. And I think that if he's available late, which I doubt, but it's possible, then maybe he's a guy that I just take sort of a home run swing on and hope his game develops. There's nothing that jumps out statistically, but whenever I watch the NTDP, I always come away kind of impressed with what he's able to do. Same thing for Dylan Peterson as well. Um, I don't like the data and what I'm seeing don't really line up and I'm cons- you know confused as to why, but you know, maybe it's a lot of it is just usage for guys like Slaggart. Um, but yeah, I, I like, I like Slaggart quite a bit, um, more so than I thought I would judging by the data that he has going in. And I think I have him on my, uh, yeah, I just have him on a watch list. So if he's available late, I could totally, totally see them taking a pick on it, taking a swing on him. Uh, have you gone over the injury problems and NHL feasibility of Hendricks LaPierre? Well, Hendricks LaPierre's data that I've tracked is extremely poor in a lot of ways, but in other ways, it's a lot. It's really good. Um, you know, at, at a certain point in the draft, I would be okay taking the risk on him. Like, I think if all things work out perfectly, he could be right in that top 12 group, I think, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a team take a risk on him. His He he and his agents are telling people that he's healthy and feeling good you could tell something was a little weird with his game i don't I, he just didn't look as fast as skilled as aggressive as hungry as as creative as he ever has that i from the holinka to the club league to sorry from the holinka to Shakutami, i felt like there was completely it was almost like two different players um his defensive game is not great and that's exemplified in his data but he's not terrible. And I think, I think though, I have him ranked at 28, which if he's available there, you take the risk. But if the average ranking of him is 24 and he's available and he's picked around 20, 21, I could totally see it. If he's, if he works out and hits his, hits his absolute ceiling, he could be an exceptionally good player and a great steal to pick up. But how much risk are you willing to take? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. And I think a lot of teams uh, are wrestling with the same thing as well, but I think he'll get picked. I think it'll be the first round because when he's really cooking, I think he can be a first round pick, but that's going to, you're going to need to be patient and be willing to gamble with, with this guy, I think. Which players in the first two rounds that are listed and played center this year do you think have to shift to the wing to make it to the NHL? Okay. Okay. Um, oops there uh duh, 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 duh. yeah so which players in the first two rounds that are listed and played center that you think are going to need to transition i think someone like connor zari could be a good winger down the road i just don't know if he's going to play center in the nhl vasily Panamariev might be another one justin Sordif, although the games i've tracked of him i think he has been playing wing thomas bordolo i think would be a good player candidate to become a, a winger down the road um, Tyson Forster is listed as a center, but I haven't seen him play center a ton. Tristan Robbins, I don't know if he's going to be a center down the road. There's a few of them, I I think. I, I think that, yeah, I think there's a few of them. Maybe Zari wasn't the best answer. Zari, I think, could play center. I just don't know what role in terms of like, like, I think he could be a good third line sort of two-way guy uh, with some offensive skill. But Guys like Ponomaryov uh, sort of strike me as guys like that. Bortolo really strikes me as that. So does Forster. Um, but I don't think Forster's played much center this year. And Robbins. I think those guys are the ones that stick out the most. How would you assess Chega's draft history as GM of the Coyotes? Were you a fan of Arizona's drafts over the last few years? Yeah, up and down, I would say. Uh, they've, they, they aren't afraid to go off the board. I mean, Michelli was a good pick. I mean, there's reasons he slipped, but he was a good pick. Uh, Posh, or not potion? um, Darian was a good one as well. Um, uh, stalling for time whilst I find, uh, the draft from last year. Nope, nope, nope. Drafts, or Arizona's picks, I should say. Uh, I don't remember the year Chaka took over, but I think I remember his first draft pick that he picked was Keller. So we'll start there. I mean, I love Clayton Keller. I think a big problem with Arizona is Rick Tockett, personally. I just, never have felt that he gets much out of his players. Um, like Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel go there and completely evaporate. I mean, Taylor Hall had had a tough year already, but didn't get much better. And Phil Kessel just fell off the planet. And Clayton Keller, I think, has still all the potential in the world, but still hasn't quite got to the point where he could be. But I think he's drafted pretty well overall. I mean, you know, there are the I wasn't a fan of the uh, Olivier Joseph, Pierre Olivier Joseph pick. Wasn't a huge fan of Philip Westerland either. I thought their 2017 was kind of, but um, 2018 wasn't a huge fan of Kevin Ball at the time, but I think he's turned himself into a pretty good player. And I think he's going to be a, a solid piece for, for New Jersey. I've come around on him a little bit, but not not a huge amount, but Jan Yannick is a good pickup. Um, the rest of them, whatever. I mean, taking Liam Kirk, fun, always fun. Uh, last year, uh, the Savunov pick, Darian, Michelli, I thought Ferranacci was an interesting pick at 76. Probably not the guy I would have picked, but a decent pick at 76. That's good value. And Söderstrom at 11, he had a fantastic year. Uh, and and time will tell if that, if that holds, but I'd say it's been average. Like this draft class, I'd say is average to a bit below average, but I think that the guys that are kind of... The weird ones are the ones where the coyotes kinda had some value. You know, like Savunov, Darian, Michelli, Unique. Um, who else? I mean, Liam Kirk, I thought was still probably earned himself at least an ELC or an AHL deal. I, I thought he was looked he looked pretty good with P- Peterborough this year. Uh but we'll see. I don't know. Uh didn't sign Meyer. I don't know though. It's it's hard. Uh Clayton Keller, though is the the sort of leader from the beginning of the draft, and I've always been a huge fan of him um but he's still kind of putting it together but like the Barrett Hayton pick was a head scratcher, and i still I still don't get it um that but and that's and I think that being perfectly honest like those are what you judge them on, you know, especially when they go off the board like that, like when you have guys like Quinn Hughes on the board and you pass on him for Barrett Hayton you better be sure that you're that you're making the right call. And you better be confident. And if it doesn't work out, you kind of have to own it. You know, like if I'm sitting at a draft table and I pick Murat Kuznudinov with the 18th overall pick, I'm sticking my neck out for the kid. For sure, 100%. But I'm pretty confident. And if I'm wrong, that's something that I own. But you kind of have to give him credit. He went out, stuck his neck out, picked a guy that that he liked, they liked, and it's still early in his career, but that was a reach and the guy behind him is nominated for the Calder. Uh, and it wasn't extremely difficult to see that Quinn Hughes at the time was probably the more likely pick than Barrett Hayton, but who am I? Um, but it's been up and down, I'd say average to below average, I guess. Um, do you track passes that lead to high-danger shot attempts, and if so, who excels in the draft? Yes, I do, uh, but I only track the attempts, not completed ones, because I need sample. And I think that it's indicative of guys who do it more often. I think that's more indicative uh, of of guys who, you know, you have to use the video, though, to discern who does it a lot without purpose and who does it a lot with purpose. Uh, and um, the ones that are best, like Jean-Luc Foudy is number one. That's what this tr- this chart is for uh this one. So if you're a patron, you get access to this, but it's also accessible for guys who have done scouting reports on already. Uh so let's go to dangerous passing. So this one. So dangerous passes per 60 over dangerous pass percentage. So this is per 60 minutes how many times are they sending passes to or through dangerous areas? Uh and it could be medium or high danger. So it's a pretty big area but it doesn't matter. Those passes are generally quite valuable. And then the percentage of total pass attempts that those, that those are. So you probably want to be up here, right? If you're down here, you're passing the puck a ton. And, and like, if you're here, this means that you're making about 200 pass attempts per 60 minutes, which is no one's even close. Like Anton Yohanneson is 135. So if Anton Yohanneson say had, you know, 10% 10% dangerous passing percentage and 135 pass attempts per 60 minutes, he'd be around here, which I think he's pretty close. Where is he? No, he's down here. So eight, so Anton Johansson is down around here. So about 6% of his passes are dangerous and eight eight per 60 minutes are dangerous. So over here, uh, you have guys like Jean-Luc Foody who are number one, Ozzy Wiesblatt would be number two, but he passes the puck a lot more than someone like a Seth Jarvis who's number 3. Uh guys here, Vladimir Mashkov who's a K- uh, uh, MHL guy. Um Jake Neighbors is up here, Jacob Perot, there's Quentin Byfield, uh Jack Quinn surprisingly. Uh who else? That's Dawson Mercer. Uh Ignat Kokonen is is a fun name to say and he's in there as well uh, Alexander Pashin, Pavel Tutniev, Brett Berard. There's a whole whack of guys here, but the number, the top three would be Foodie, Wiesblatt, and Jarvis right now, but more on that in an upcoming report that's coming this weekend. Hint, hint. Um, I'm glad you appreciate the work, Mr. Get Off My Lawn. Thank you for, for being here and, uh, feel free to ask any questions you have. Will someone give Brett Newman an ALC? I hope so. He's a good player. I like watching him play, and it's free. Well, other than costing money, but I think he should earn himself a contract somewhere, at least an AHL deal, and let him see what he can do. If they allow fans, will you be making your way to the World Juniors? I hope so. That'd be nice. Uh, Regardless of position, who do you think will have the better NHL career? Rossi, Perfetti, or Drysdale? I mean, I have Rossi ranked the highest because I think he's going to have a better career than those two guys. Um personally. I I think Rossi plays the type of game that I'm always looking for, uh, and I would put them in that order. I think Rossi, Perfetti, Drysdale in that order long term, but times change, so I'll look back on this in 10 years and call myself silly. If you had to choose who has a chance, if you had to choose who that has a chance, would you want to get Lafreniere? The Edmonton Oilers. You heard me how do you think Ty Smith pans out for the Devils? A very good defenseman. I I really like him. He almost made the Devils last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But I'm a big, big fan of Ty Smith. They're going to need to be patient with him. His decision-making can be a little bit questionable. Uh, He can hold onto the puck for a long time. There's some bad habits in the WHL, but he has tons and tons of talent, tons and tons of skill. Uh, I really like I really like what Ty Smith brings to the game. And I think after a year trying him out in the AHL, unless you're 100% confident he can fit in in the NHL, there's no real need to rush him. Um, But I I think he has a lot of potential to be a good offensive defenseman in the NHL for sure. Uh, Why don't more junior players go the Victor Mancini route? I'm going to close on this. Uh, I'd much rather live in Gothenburg, Stockholm, Malmö, or whatever uh, than a lot of cities where North American junior hockey takes place. Most players probably don't do it because they grow up playing with a lot of other really highly talented players that they know, and those highly talented players also follow them in terms of their developmental path. It's probably really hard as well as a... I think it would have been him at a, as a 16-year-old. I think he would have been... That would have been a very difficult decision to make. Like maybe you specifically would feel comfortable at 16 years old moving to Sweden where yes, people speak English, but the signs are in a different language that makes no frickin' sense to an English speaker. Mostly. Um, you know, if you're living in you're, you're you might have a parent that comes with you. So you need to have the economic ability to make that feasible. Um, and it's a lot of that's a big change. And that's why I'm kind of interested in Mancini because he went over there and and just kind of did it and it's worked. I thought he's I think he's a pretty decent player and an interesting player to keep an eye on down the road. And I think that that's a very difficult but mature kind of idea. And I do think that you know there are really good clubs over there that have more of a approach that might be resonant with players that do want to maybe play pro when they're draft eligible like i think that it's perfectly reasonable that someone like a marco rossi i mean he was playing pro in like two years ago he played pro in sweden or switzerland which it was second division pro but he was playing pro uh you know and i would like it would be interesting to see him play in zurich this year or last year i should say you know but even beyond that like if someone like a alexi lafreniere was like you know what I could just go to Switzerland and play there for a year or go to whatever you know, play for Geneva and and hang out there for a year and then come over. Although I don't know if the CHL would allow that. I don't know, it's hard. I don't I don't know the rules right off the top of my head, but I think it's more about like that's a big decision and you're leaving behind an entire developmental path that that you grew up with um and the family would need to be on board, you know, you i i don't know if he has an advisor but but he would need to go over there um but yeah i don't know uh like it would be a difficult decision for me to make and i'm usually not super uncomfortable with travel and going into other cultures and stuff but that's a big change especially to play hockey like to play sports as a job that's a lot for a 16 year old or 17 whatever uh any goalies you're high on that don't get much attention. Nick Malik, I think, uh I mean I pulled some goalies that that uh no not that. Uh this. I pulled some goalies and and took their took a look at their expected goals against relative to their goals against. Nick Malik got absolutely destroyed in Sault Ste. Marie this year, it seems. Um but guys like uh who else is in here that doesn't get a ton of of, of looks? I mean, Joel Blomqvist surprisingly faced a pretty decent workload and did pretty well relative so the blue dots are uh goals against per 60 divided by expected goals against so you want to have a low number so the blue the lower the blue dot the better but the higher the red dot the higher the workload and it's sorted by workload but if i sort it by the ratio uh jan bednar is right up there so maybe jan bednar would be another guy and he's six four so oh wait no sorry that's the opposite jan bednar is giving up more than he should uh Blomqvist is the number 1 guy. Lassie Lattenen is up there as well, but he's a bit small. I I, I would look at Blomqvist personally. Uh beyond that, I mean guys like Aktiyamov and uh Miftikov and uh who else is in here? Skotnikov. Scottnikov like he's not facing a huge workload. Like his expected goals against average is 1.95. That's nothing. Um so he's doing his job and then some, but like not nearly as much as someone like Blomqvist where the difference is almost a full goal per game. So that can make a pretty big difference if you have a goalie that's saving on average an eight, eight, eight tenths of a goal per game. Uh, not bad. And I think that's at even strength as well. Uh, okay. Last couple of questions and then I'm, then I'm bailing. Would anyone take this offer? Oh God. Get Matthews, Kakanen,
1: what? Are you trolling me?
0: Hope you had fun. Anyway, that's going to be the 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 stream for this evening. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh for all of those who donated, thank you very much for your generosity. It's always very well appreciated and it will go towards a good cause like keeping keeping my lights on. Uh those lights, actually, these ones and those ones. So thank you. Um and if you're new, welcome. Hope you come back. We do these every Wednesday uh at 8:30 9:30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh if you are just dropping in, click all the buttons below me. Uh, that's just the best way to stay in touch. Uh, you can feel free to join on Patreon or YouTube or whatever you want. Uh, so, uh, thank you very much. We'll be back next week and, uh, hope you all stay safe and have a great week and weekend. Uh, it is a long weekend here in Canada. So if you're Canadian, stay safe and enjoy your long weekends and, uh, we'll see you next week. All right. All right. Enjoy the hockey as well, by the way. Enjoy it because it's so far so good. Anyway.